Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. My name is Jeanette Abney, and I want to thank you for joining me here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. I want to first thank my Heavenly Father for blessing me and waking me up this morning. And I also want to say, I noticed that I had a problem with my spelling this morning, and that's because I waited to the last in, the last minute to put the show information out. So I will say I am totally responsible for that because I should have took my butt to sleep last night. Now, when we talk about today's show or the information for today's show, today's show is entitled Understanding Defense Mechanism. Now, when we start talking about defense mechanism, I know that a lot of individuals have no idea what that even means, unless you are either in the field of psychology or mental health or things of that nature, because that's not a term that we normally use when we talk about defense mechanism, because normally we will say that a person has become defensive or there's one that many of us may be able to recognize, and that has to do with one being in denial. But a lot of times individuals may not even have known that that is just one defense mechanism. So today we're going to be providing information and understanding to do, that defines defense mechanism because when it comes to interacting with individuals in any type of relationship, it is important that we have knowledge of one's defense mechanism as well as our own because defense mechanisms are behaviors that one uses to often separate themselves from unpleasant events, actions, or thoughts. However, when one uses such to protect themselves, it can lead others to become frustrated. They may feel unheard or that their needs are not being met and often causes problems within one's relationship. I brought up that many can recognize when one or a person is in denial. However, what about the other defense mechanisms? So if you want to join in on the conversation or you have any questions, give me a call at 516-387-1914. I would love to hear your thoughts. As I have been kind of sending messages to individuals saying, hey, come join me, let's talk about this. Now, I want to let you guys know, and I'm getting this information from psychologytoday.com, and they have indicated when we talk about defense mechanisms, what are defense mechanisms? Now, they list defense mechanisms as an unconscious strategy. So when we start talking about if it is it unconscious or is it on purpose, especially when we talk about being in denial. Now, with the unconscious strategies whereby people protect themselves from anxious thoughts or feelings, defense mechanisms aren't inherently bad because a lot of times we say, well, it's not a good thing, they should know better, why are they doing this to me or why are they doing it to others? However, they can allow people to navigate painful experiences or channel their energy more productively. They become problematic, however, when applied too frequently or far too long, meaning you can only be dealing with this for so long before it becomes a problem for either you or someone else. 
And a lot of times it takes someone bringing things to one's attention before they even realize that it's even actually a problem. Now, I don't I believe I put it out there, I'm not sure, but I want to say I want to talk about some of the four most common when we start talking about defense mechanisms, meaning these are some things that most individuals can kind of, you know, pick up on or they'll say, you know what, I've heard about that before. Or I noticed when I was dealing with my mother or I was dealing with in a relationship, in a marriage, you know, but I didn't know exactly what those terms meant or even where the term even defense mechanism came from. Now, the defense mechanism is a concept that arose from the work of Sigmund Freud, and that's why I said those that are either in the field of psychology or mental health, we all have heard of Freud and his daughter, Anna Freud. Now, their framework proven nearly impossible to basically empirically validate, and their methods are no longer used in therapy today. In some cases, some people may still say that they are Freudian or Illyrian or, you know, different types of psychotherapy that people are using. But his theories still spurred the growth of psychology. And some of his ideas, like defense mechanisms, still stand today. But identifying when an individual employs a defense mechanism, such as projection, for instance, can be a helpful catalyst in the therapeutic process. So when we start talking about this and just why and how these things come about, he goes into the ego and and different things, but he brings up eight major defense mechanisms. One is denial. Now, we always say the denial of the river in Egypt and all of that, or this person is in denial about their weight or denial about their relationship. But with denial, that is referring Refusing to recognize or acknowledge real facts or experiences, and sometimes that can lead to anxiety. I'm giving an example that they talk about. If they say someone with a substance use order disorder, sometimes they don't see if that see it as a problem, or someone in a toxic relationship. They may think their relationship is healthy and normal. So just because a person don't see it as a problem doesn't mean that it's not a problem. So we're going to go back to that, but I just want to give you guys some of the the main ones. Like I said, denial. The other one is repression, blocking difficult thoughts from entering into the consciousness, such as trauma, meaning a survivor shutting out of a traumatic experience. A lot of times in a relationship we'll say that this individual may have repressed things or you know, they block things out. A lot of times we see that in therapy, especially when we talk about child abuse, childhood trauma, individuals that have experienced some type of um, traumatic event that have happened in their life. I know my auntie used to say, we're survivors. People are just surviving things. Another one is regression, reverting to the behaviors or emotions from an earlier developmental stage which might occur when a person is stressed or anxious. We see that a lot, and we say that individuals are acting childish, childlike, immature, and sometimes we look at that as being a form of regression. Then we have rationalization, meaning justifying a mistake 
or problematic feeling with something seemingly logical reason or explanation. And I know I'm notorious for that. I will rationalize and make sense and try to make it sound good. And um, some people say it's not an excuse, it's just an explanation. So that's another form of defense mechanism. Then we have displacement, meaning redirecting an emotional reaction for or from the rightful recipient to another person altogether. Another example is when someone gets upset or scream at someone or another person and that person doesn't scream back or get upset, but then that person will take it out on somebody else. We kind of call it the kick the dog syndrome or you, you're kind of having difficulties at work and you go home and take it out on your wife and kids or, you know, or, you know your, the, your wife is having difficulties with her, her mother or her sisters and she's taking it out on other people, be a form of displacement. We have what's called reactive or reaction formation, behaving or expressing the opposite of one's true feeling. Another one is when you really feel in some way or you feel in some kind of way, but you act like everything is okay. I like when individuals use the term fine. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And they're really not fine because you can tell by the way they, they're acting out. Another one is sublimation, meaning channeling sexual or unacceptable urges into productive outlets. A lot of times we will do other things to try to cover stuff up. Now, when we start talking about just those and trying to understand why some people do some of the things that they do, it's interesting, and especially for those that are in the field or going to therapy, they learn that a lot of these things start or come from different type of experiences, childhood experiences, trauma, you know, and trying to, and not only that, looking at, or some of the times we talk about these feelings and these emotions, individuals don't know how to, how to handle these things. Now, I started off earlier, and I was talking about, even when I did my Facebook Live, that defense mechanisms are behaviors people use to separate themselves from unpleasant event actions or thoughts. And the psychological strategies may help people put distance between themselves and threats or unwanted feelings such as shame and guilt. Now, that right there is powerful because if I'm dealing with something and I don't want to deal with it, and we're talking about the denial or we're talking about shame, we're talking about dealing with guilt, the idea of defense mechanisms, you know, we talked about coming from Freud and, you know, they talk about the different things, the interactions between the ego, the superego, and I know you guys are like, Jeanette, what the heck are you talking about? But the one thing I want to say is when we start talking about these things, we just have to learn how to become more aware of what these things are, how they actually impact individuals, especially in a relationship. Now, I have some information, and I gave you guys some of the four basic ones that most people may be able to identify with. Like I said, the denial, the repression, the regression, and the placement. But I have another one. What about projection? You know, sometimes people may, with thoughts and feelings you have about another person, that may make another person or make them uncomfortable, they can project those feelings or 
put them on to someone else. To give an example, you may dislike your new coworker, but instead of accepting, you choose to tell yourself that they don't like you. You know, we have this thing we talk about haters. We have this thing where we start talking about, well, they don't like me. And we used to say, well, you know what, maybe they just don't like themselves. Or what a person think about one is the other per- it's not even the person none of the other person's business. But when we start talking about this projection, if you are dealing with situations where you feel that your spouse, your significant other, or someone you are involved with is projecting things onto you that maybe you didn't even do, maybe you didn't even say, let's talk about this because now is the time to try to gain some information, gain some knowledge to try to help you or, well, help others identify some of these different things and some of these different feelings. Because what happens with the projection, which is really big in relationships, is one will see in their actions the things that they wish they could do or say, but the problem is they will project it and take it out on somebody else. Now, many of you know I do not like being on the radio by myself. So please call in, 516-387-1914, because if not, I'm going to have to start calling people, and I'm going to start with calling Miss Letitia and have her give me a call on the radio, even though I know she is busy. Today, but I'm going to have her call me so we can talk. Give me one second. Because a lot of times individuals say that they like to hear her thought process and some of the information that she shared, they find it to be very helpful, even though she don't want to help me sometime and I project things onto her. So I'm going to throw her under the bus right now to get her to try to help me with this show. Now, Getting back to the information and talking about understanding defense mechanisms, I wanted to really talk about this topic myself because when I start thinking about individuals in regards to we talk about who me, am I being defensive, am I dealing with these things, am I projecting these um, things onto other individuals in my life on a day-to-day basis, a lot of times individuals become or they get to the point to where, like I said, it becomes a way of coping. It becomes a way of protecting themselves from things that they don't want to deal with or feelings that they don't want to feel. And yet it does impact other individuals because some individuals will say, you know, I'm noticing that this individual becomes very defensive at times and I don't understand what I'm doing to this person. Is it me? Is it them? And How do you deal with an individual that you may find to be defensive or implementing these different um, defense mechanisms, especially if you are not aware of what some of these things are? You know, you take a person that's coming to work late or, you know, they, they get flaky in a relationship or you try to, you know, communicate with them to try to get them to do certain things or they agree to do things, then they don't do it, and they try to flip the script, so we used to say, or just place their their feelings onto you. Sometimes that can be very frustrating, and it can be very taunting, especially when you're dealing in a relationship with other individuals. Now, I have some information, and this information is coming from Brain Friendly Dynamics, and it says, who me? How to deal with defensive people. 
And one of the things, when we start talking about this, we think of anger, meaning, like, let's say, for example, an individual responds with anger whenever someone disagrees with them. Or if you're married to someone or you're in a dating relationship and they retreat into silence whenever, you know, that person or when you want to talk to about that person, talk about a situation or become proactive with that individual. Or let's say an employee um, basically gives a coworker so much work that they can't or feel that they can't do it. Sometimes these behaviors might appear different. However, they can all be or have something to do with one's defense mechanism or have a variation of some of the problem we talk about becoming defensiveness. Now, when we start talking about the defensive behaviors, and it could be, include habitually claiming, you know, when people say, well, I already knew that. We call that a form of denial. We'd be like, yeah, right. Or individuals start rationalizing things by saying that or explaining um, what everything that people are doing but the problem is we start talking about defensive individuals. They believe that their reactions protect them from outside attacks. In fact, defensive individuals unconsciously are trying to shield themselves from their own doubt about their significance, competence, likability. Now, sometimes when talking about defense mechanisms, Sometimes we all can become quite defensive from time to time to some degree, but most of us learn to limit our defensive tendency when we have a better understanding of where it's coming from and when we have resources and when we feel safe that we don't have to do these things. But those who don't curb their defensiveness can make life difficult for themselves and those who live and work with them. Because what happens is their chronically defensive behavior promotes conflicts, divisiveness, encourage rigid thinking, and strifles creativity and bring out the defensiveness in others. So I want to give you guys some information to basically better deal with defensiveness of those individuals around you. Now, the best way when you're talking about dealing with a defensive individual is don't become defensive yourself even when provoked. If you find yourself getting upset if you think a person is in denial or let's say you see them repressing things or displacing anger, you have to remind yourself that this person's defensiveness is rooted in his or her own insecurities and have little to do with you because arguing back will only make the person more insecure. And, you know, and I find it to be interesting, especially even as a therapist, when you are basically doing an intake and assessment, you're gathering information, you're trying to get historical data to try to get, gain some knowledge of how can you help this individual. A lot of times individuals will only tell you what they want you to know. And sometimes we look at that as a form of being defensive, but sometimes they don't feel safe in, in regards to sharing information. So one of the things is we have to learn how to be a good listener. So after the emotional moment has passed or you see someone becoming defensive, offer the defensive person a chance to speak with you about the situation that led to the defensiveness. And remember, just don't take it personal, but during the conversation, resist the urge to evaluate, 
criticize, or suggest. Just listen intently and take both the words and the emotional content into account. And every now and then, you know, you have to summarize what you're hearing just to make sure you're understanding and to make sure the person knows that you're really listening. Active listening is very, very important. And not only active listening, paraphrasing, reflective listening, because listening is a skill, and it is a skill that most individuals do not have. Another thing you can do when you're dealing with someone that's very defensive is change the way you argue. You know, I've heard individuals say, well, everybody argue, everybody have disagreements. I always tell individual it's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to disrespect. So when you change the way you argue, try what's called an interest-based negotiation. When you do an interest-based negotiation, that means that basically you're interested in what the other person has to say. Even though a lot of times you may not have little information, you may have little knowledge, their feelings are their feelings. They have to own how they feel. But if you show an interest in what they're saying and how they feel and not minimize it or them, that can go a long way and open up the doors to where you can gather more information. Because with this strategy, your first goal is to state your opponent's underlying interests to their satisfaction, and second goal is for them to do the same only for you. Because when you do this, you start proposing what's called solutions. And this can create an atmosphere with understanding that can make the defensive individual or the defensiveness less likely. Now, that right there is huge, especially in a marriage or in a relationship. And um, another thing, and I spoke on this before, is managing your own defensiveness. The most difficult step to overcoming defensiveness in yourself is acknowledging that you are also indeed offensive or basically defensive. When you probably consider yourself or your response to be perceived criticism, to be rational and justified when they occur, sometimes we have to reconsider them after the moment of the confrontation that has passed because sometimes we have to go back and think about did I say that or did I do that or in what way could I have played a role in how this person may have perceived what I have said or done. Now, another thing, and I I got the smile and I'm laughing, is because I'm getting text messages from individuals. Now, another one is monitoring your thoughts. Is your mind telling you that this person is out to get me? or that this person doesn't think I'm very smart or they're trying to take advantage of me. Sometimes when these things happen, instead of becoming defensive, you can respond to the negative thoughts with positive self-talk. Now, somebody is calling in. Thank you, because I don't like talking about myself. <laughs> Hi, this is Jeanette. Welcome to Purchase Ridiculous Blog Talk Radio. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Jeanette? You know I miss you, right? <laughs> I miss you too. I miss you being in this office with me. <laughs> I was in up here. I'm gonna take messages. I'm spelling stuff wrong. I'm trying to get stuff done. I'm all sleepy because I was at Paula last night and I needed a timeout. Oh no! <laughs> but I hadn't been in a while. I, I was. I was. I had a slip. 
I you know, we were just we were just talking the other day about Pala Casino. You know, those Indians, they pay their members, they pay the members of that tribe anywhere from 3000 to $9,000 a month each. That is not the place to go to win. Well, I just went to go have fun because I wasn't in denial. <laughs> I, I had a little displacement because we talked about understanding defense mechanisms, and I don't want to be mm-hmm. taking all the stuff that I'm going out on other individuals. You know, I guess I could say I didn't want to repress my emotions. I, I kind of went into a regression because I learned how to gamble at the age of two. So I could take all oh, these, no. uh, these defense mechanisms. But <laughs> no. this, this is the problem, Arthea. I got there by 5 o'clock. Do you know I don't think I left at 1 in the morning and still didn't want to go home? I see this is a problem. I just did not want to go home. And I was there all for, I was like, I got to get up and go to work in the morning. I had to literally roll out the bed, and I am so sleepy and tired. I'm delirious. I'm so tired today. But it's all good. It, it is all good. But I didn't lose. I did win some money, so that was good. So that was a good thing. That is good. Okay. So, talking about this topic and understanding defense mechanism, what did mm-hmm. you take on that up here? You know, I just finished, because you know right now I'm in um, Psychology of Abnormal Behavior, and I just finished in Chapter 4 of my psychology book learning about um, how Freud explained abnormal behavior. And, you know, he was the one that pointed out these defense mechanisms. I thought I had the page with me because I'm printing my book out chapter at a time. But I was looking at it, you know, defense mechanisms is something I learned when I was in a – cognitive behavior therapy group and um i realized that for most people it's easier to project and that's like one of that was one of my biggest defense mechanisms was projection i don't think so much denial because i was well i don't know maybe denial too because the thing about denial they tell you in um different programs denial is not knowing that you're lying and so maybe i, I had some denial going on too but my biggest one was projection. You know, I could look at someone and talk about that person half a day about what they're doing, and then it dawned on me. See, my mother used to tell me, before you open your mouth to speak about somebody else, take a good long look in the mirror, and chances are you'll see exactly what you're talking about in yourself. And, you know, it was so funny that my mom would say that because I used to tell people all the time, my mom talks about me and things like this, that, and another, and it'd be things that I see in her that she'd be putting off on me. And I used to tell people that's because my mom couldn't deal with her own issues. She had to put it off on somebody else. And I realized that I was doing the same thing. It's easier for me to say, oh, you're doing this, that, that, and another, but I'm doing the same thing because if I'm not ready for change or if I'm unable to grow at the moment because I'm in denial and I don't see a need for change, then I, it's just so much easier to say, look at that person and what they're doing because when we're bothered, by, well, me personally, when I'm bothered by someone and what they're doing, it's, it's character traits that I have, and it's easier uh-huh. for me to look at someone else than it is myself. Uh-huh. You know what, and I had to feel that a lot of this stuff starts in childhood, and we don't even realize it. Because yes, it does. Like I said, um, with myself, I had a lot of displacement. I would, 
I carried a lot of stuff and didn't realize I was carrying a lot of stuff, and it was more anger. And I remember a person told me, I'll never forget, and I was grown. One of my childhood friends that I grew up with in elementary school, as an adult, he told me, he said, Jeanette, when we were kids, you were so cute, but you were so mean. He said, I didn't realize how mean I was, but I would beat people up, take their food, you know, I, I just bully folks. I was always bossy. You know, and it was funny because most of the time, even last night at the casino, it was this woman sitting at the table. She was so bossy. All I could do is just laugh at her. And her friend was getting so angry with her. And I told her, I said, you know what, you have a lot of patience, you know. And just that that displacement, and I didn't realize it until I became an adult that I was taking out on other people what I should have dealt with that I didn't deal with because I didn't even know I was angry about those things. And um, yeah, like, it's happening it come out in relationships. That's where um that's where we find out we have our defects. If we're ready to um if we're ready to take a look at ourselves and or no, I'm gonna say if the relationship is that important to us, then we then we start looking at ourselves a little bit like if it's a, if I notice a track record like, you know, I wonder how come it's always this and the person always end up saying that. If I'm ready to look at myself, then I can see it. But my mm-hmm. biggest no, I I'm looking at it now the thing for um defense mechanisms and um one um one of the ones I think I had too was um the displacement you're talking about because you know how they say we take it out on the people closest to us hurt people hurt because people yes have, because we haven't learned that that's that is something going on inside of us like if somebody somebody pissed me off in the store. I, okay, and here come this Freudian, Freudian, and I've never been being on Sigmund Freud until I read this last chapter. And I said, you know what, reading about that stuff helped me understand myself a little bit more because I realized I, I got fixated in the very early the very early stage of development, which I got fixated on the oral stage because even my grandmother told me my mother weaned me too soon, and she she cut me off of bottles, had me drinking out of cups before I was even a year old, and I went to suck in my thumbs. She would tape up my thumbs, rub chili sauce on them and everything. And so I I, I did a discussion board in my psychology class, and I said <laughs> – I've never been big on. I've never been big on uh, on. I'm never. I'm not a Freudian, but uh-huh. I can explain myself through a Freudian concept. You know, I got stuck. I got fixated on my drinking. My drinking problem could be explained. I got fixated on the oral phase of my development at a very early age, so I didn't develop properly in the other stages. So I got fixated on the oral stage, which is why I stuck. Which is why I was stuck with alcoholism for so long. And my three-parted personality, <laughs> my age, my ego. My my ego and my super ego, who are always in conflict, they they became three different personalities. <laughs> and you know what, Thea? And that takes us to the other one, which was like the dissociation. That's how people start learning how to dissociate because people who use a dissociation as a defense mechanism tend to momentarily lose their connection to the world around them, and they may feel separated yep. from the outside world as though they exist in another realm because dissociation helps people to cope with uncomfortable situations by removing them from themselves. And then it becomes a yep. mental health issue, especially when you're talking about trauma and kids that have been molested. And that's how they start coming up with all these alter egos and different personalities. And 
So it, it's to protect themselves because that host or that person they felt couldn't do it. So here you come, a Jane, a Sally, a Sue, and, you know, and then, like right. you said, people medicate with drugs and alcohol to cover their pain. So a lot of times when we start talking about some of the things that people are going through, Thea, we have to get to the root of it. And it's sad because we have so many individuals that are walking around here still carrying this baggage that they don't even know what to do with it, and they still going around hurting other people until they start dealing with their own stuff. And like you said, it's so easy to point the finger at somebody else and not point and not, you know, look at it themselves. Another one thing I'm gonna tell you another one that I got is not not uh, humor. Did you know that humor is also a defense mechanism? I tell individuals when I start laughing because my son used to say, Mom, it ain't funny. You think everything is funny. I'm like, I'm laughing to calm me down. So sometimes individuals will use humor as a defense mechanism. Yeah, see, I think, um, no, humor, it's it's, it's a defense mechanism, but they just don't – they don't they don't term it like that because I'm trying to see which one it is. Because see for me, that's why, you know, I got voted class clown when I was in junior high. I'm thinking out of a whole school of kids, I get people class clown and I was one of the saddest, most miserable, most abused children and how I get noted as a clown, but see, laughter was my way. I I think it's more like a coping thing. Because if I could laugh then I if I could laugh, I, I didn't fall apart, you know. And so I learned to laugh. I learned to make make light of everything going on around me. And just, I mean, I was a clown when I was around other people because I didn't want them to see who I really was. So it was like a, a def- it was, yeah, a defense mechanism, a coping skill, a camouflage, all that. Because if I could be happy-go-lucky, then I wouldn't sit around crying all the time. I tell you, once I stopped learning to laugh, and people used to tell me, and people didn't like to hang out with me. And I found out through a friend of mine because he said, you know, you say you're not a liar or a thief. But you're one of the biggest liars and the biggest thieves I know. I wanted to hit that man, and then he <laughs> broke it down to me. He said, "You know, he said, I, 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 and he broke it down to me. He said, you lie to people and you tell people you want to be happy and have a good time, but then you go into all your sad shit. You go into all your sad stuff, and in an hour you have everybody crying with you. You just stole their good time and replaced it with sadness. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know that would make me a liar and a thief. I say I want to have fun, but all I do is talk about all the bad stuff that then happened. I'm I'm sitting there crying and got everybody else crying. They was having a good time before I got there. I just stole their fun." You, you know, know every place. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to say this. It's interesting you said that because you find that a lot in individuals that suffer from the disease of alcoholism. Because alcohol is a depressant. And so what happens is they start off socializing, they start off having a good time. Before you know it, they drunk, they sovereign in a mess, they crying, they feel sorry for themselves, they fighting, pulling guns off. What just happened here? You know, so that is true. That is so, so true. And like I said, you find it a lot in alcoholism. And even getting back to the humor, if you think about a comedian, 
laughing at my pain. You know, a lot of individuals are so hurt, and all they do, and they're telling the truth. When I do therapy and people be like, Jeanette, you're so funny. You should have been a comedian. I'm like, I am telling the truth. Why do you think I keep telling the same old stories over and over again? Because this stuff really happened. I'm not making that yep. stuff up. So, but the thing is, sometimes we have to use humor. And I'm looking at some information, and it talks about psychologistworld.com. And there's, there's an individual named George Villiant. He describes the use of humor as a mature defense mechanism, a primarily adaptive technique to help individuals cope with tense and stressful situations. Looking for a funny aspect in an environment in which we lack control can help us to endure it. And we can all be what they call um, artistic in the act in helping others to better cope as well. And that's why sometimes yeah, people ask individuals, if you're feeling bad, you're feeling depressed, you're having a breakup in your relationship, don't watch no love, sad movies and all that. Watch something that's going to make you laugh. It takes your mind off of things. So, they, like I said, they view it as a mature defense mechanism. Another defense mechanism via is um, avoidance. Individuals yeah. will use avoidance. They'll just try to just isolate themselves, stay away from people. Now, that's not always healthy because that can get individuals in trouble. Because when a perceived situation creates anxiety, a convenient option for sometimes for individuals is to try to avoid it. But although avoidance can provide an escape from a particular event, it neglects to deal with the cause of the anxiety because some of these defense mechanisms can create anxiety. What do you think about that? Because some people just say avoid, just avoid it, just don't deal with it, just stay away from it. Do that always? Did you ever find that helpful to avoid it? No, because I think, okay, if I... If I just stay away from something or avoid it, my, and my mind doesn't let it go. So all I'm doing, it's like putting, it's like putting, uh, it's like it's like setting off a time bomb because if if I avoid it, all I'm doing is letting it simmer. Pretty soon it's going to to a boil, and and everything in that pot is going to be all over the place. I have to deal with it, and if I have to laugh at it when I deal with it. That's okay, but if I don't deal with it, I seize on it, it sits and simmers, and pretty soon it's going to come out. And I don't have mm. to be drunk to do that. I found out when I first got sober, some of my some of my anger was at, at an all-time high, but I realized, knowing that anger is a second emotion, I realized, okay, I wasn't just angry. I was, I was very scared. I was still that six-year-old girl mm-hmm. that first picked up that drink. I was very immature, and there was a lot of things in life that I was afraid of, but instead of being afraid, I was either angry or anxious. I mean, it was I was like nine months sober before I could even sit still during the day. Like right now, being able to sit and talk to you on the phone or just even being able to go in there and work with you, I was nine months sober before I could actually just sit around and be okay with just things are going smooth right now. I don't have to be up doing something. I don't have to be stressing on something. I don't have to be thinking about something. I can just relax and be right now, right here in this moment. It took me a long time to do that. But if I avoid stuff, even in sobriety, it's going to get the best of me. That's why I go to so many meetings, and that's why I share about it, because I have to get that stuff out. Mm -hmm. I can't avoid it. I mean, avoiding it to me, it, I'm, I'm not avoiding anything. All I'm doing is um, it's incubating. Correct. You know, and you know what? And that's 
they call about sweeping it up under the rug. You think you're getting away or getting away from it by getting rid of it or trying to avoid it and not deal with it. If you don't deal with it, it's gonna deal with you. So yeah, you sweep so much. You sweep so much under the rug too. Before you know it, you before you, and you pretend like you don't see it. You end up tripping over that rug, landing flat on your face, and break your nose. Then what? You can't, that's a good one. That is true. You can't get away from it. <laughs> you can't get away from it. Yeah. You know, another one, another theme, another one theme when we talk about understanding defense mechanisms is the intellectualization. A lot of times, especially I'm noticing like with professionals or individuals that are very articulate, when a person mm-hmm. is attached emotionally to an, to an issue, they may be tempted to consider it in an intellectual term. This often involves standing back from the situation and attempting to take a cold, natural view, for instance, when a person who has been redundant after, let's say, of um, certain, certain amount of years, they start trying to make excuses or they try to interject, into intellectualize, or they become, well, you know, it's not that bad, and come up with all these different big terms to try to deal with the situation, but that is still a defense mechanism, and it would not necessarily prevent the person's passionate feelings as they've been betrayed after, you know, when we start talking about why are you trying to make it to where, you know, you're trying to make it, you intellectualize it, and you're trying to say, well, and they, and it's a whole other way of hiding. Have you yeah. known individuals to, into, into, oh, I can't even say the word, I'm so tired, intellectualize things? <laughs> And I'm I'm a therapist. <laughs> Intellectually speaking, <laughs> it's not me. It wasn't you know we we come and um, I like uh, my friend Lisa. She used to say it's not an excuse; it's an explanation. You know, but no. we find sometimes people will use these big words to try to talk over us, to try to make it, and all they're doing is still repressing a lot of that stuff. Mhm. That's um. I was trying to think one one other one. Oh, where um. Oh no, you know what? That might have been a different chapter. That wasn't a defense mechanism. Where like um. If you break up with someone, instead of thinking about no, that was a different way. Never mind. I was on a, a different thought. I'm trying to think of intellect intellectualization. So you just explained it. That's like using big words to try to re-explain something so it don't mm-hmm. seem as bad as it is. Mhm. You know, and I'm looking at a lot of this stuff that the it got so many different terms now that individuals are using, and it kind of goes back to the everybody is doing it. You know, what you try to find what works for you, but no matter what, you got to own it and you got to deal with it. You got to deal with your pain because a lot of times, even with passive aggression, and that's another form of um, a defense mechanism because. We we look at individuals. Some individuals have what's called a passive aggressive personality, or they communicate, or they parent that way. I used to call it the nice nasty. And what happens mm-hmm. is this displays of aggressions are considered unsociably and undesirable in many societies. So when aggressive or violent impulses are experienced, people tend to avoid them as much as possible. However, the remaining energy drive such aggressions may prove to be more difficult to contain and may manifest itself in other forms known as passive aggression. A passive aggressive person may be uncooperative in carrying out their duties or tasks or may deliberately ignore someone when spoken to. 
and may adopt a negative view of their situation. Now, I call it, like I said, the nice nasty, but what passive-aggressive is when individuals or will try to act like they just be all passive, try to avoid the, or then come out and be an aggressive later. And you're like, wait a minute, where that coming from? It's confusing yeah. individuals when individuals use that form as a defense mechanism. Another one is isolation. We talked a little bit about avoidance, but avoidance is a little different from isolation. Because with isolation, the defense mechanism of isolation can lead a person to separate ideas or feelings from the rest of their thoughts and distinguishing an emotion or impulse from in other ways a person attempts to protect the ego from anxieties caused by specific situations. An example they give is a person with a particularly stressful job may use isolation to separate their work life from their family life, avoiding stress and affecting their relationship. But when you isolate and you separate, you again, you still got to deal with it. When you learn to deal with what's bothering you, that can lead to peace. Yeah. That can Bound. lead to reduce your stress. And um, it can help in a lot of different ways, a lot of ways. What are some of the other things? Because you spoke a little bit about in regards to just dealing with alcoholism, but drug addiction, toxic relationships, ignoring red flags, parenting. See, these are some areas where we have to have a better understanding of our defense mechanism as well as the defense mechanisms that other individuals may also be using too. What is your thought well, on I that? Think- I think um, one of the ones that they don't, they don't, they they put it as a defense mechanism, but I think it's um, for, okay, it's repression, you know, where they say, like, mm-hmm. you, you put stuff down so far, you don't have a conscious recollection of it anymore. But, like, for, for me, with some things that happened to me when I was growing up, I believe it was necessary. If my brain was doing that, then my brain was doing that for my best. Because, yeah. like, if there were some things that I couldn't remember, details or stuff, I knew, I mean, I knew that things happened. I couldn't remember specific details. I mean, I made up stories to make it into other things. I mean, I created a whole family, you know, just to avoid what I was going through. But I was grateful for it because by the time it finally dawned on me, it shook my world up. And if I didn't, I had a dog in my life at that time, and my dog was like my super glue that held me together. It was a different dog I had for 11 years. And um, my dog was, and believe it or not, my dog was what helped me come to, brought it out of my, brought it out and into the forefront of my mind. And when I realized what it was that I had been holding back for so long, I thought, oh my goodness, because if it, if it had it came to light sooner, it could have just really shattered my whole psychic and everything about me because I really thought I had my life figured out, you know, I was this way and that way. And then when this one particular thing came to my attention, to the forefront of my mind, it blew my mind completely. It changed my whole sex life. It changed, and I realized then when I did the fourth and fifth step with my sponsor after I got sober, my my promiscuity came from that being repressed. I mean, I probably would have never even had any children if that hadn't been repressed. I probably would have never been open to a relationship period, 
you know. And I think that even though even though they were weren't healthy relationships, I have some beautiful children, and I do know what an unhealthy relationship looks like. At least I did get to experience that because this thing didn't come out into my mind until the year two thousand. I think like 2003, 2004, somewhere around then. That was after I'd already had all my children. I might not have ever even had any children if that hadn't come to my mind sooner with my messed up head the way it was. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I wouldn't have had the people or the places or or the experiences that I'd experienced to be able to sit well with it and be okay. You know what I'm saying? It might have been something that would have landed me in a nut ward somewhere. So I'm glad that it is. Oh, I'm, go- I'm sorry. Go one ahead. Things, oh, no. One of the things I want to say, and I'm looking at this through psychology today, and they talk about repression. And one of the things that they indicate is what you forget can't hurt you. And right. that goes back to talking about um, disassociating is if you forget it, it don't bother you anymore. And that's how people release and get rid of that pain. But what happens with the, with the repression is it comes out in other behaviors sometimes. You know, so and regression because some people go back to their childlike state. You know, you got a teenager sucking their thumb. I look at a lot of individuals that what's going on with these video games is gaming. You know, and like you talked about, um, your uh, being promiscuous, and when we start talking about sex addictions and individuals that have experienced some type of trauma or if they were sexually abused, a lot of times the the brain can't handle all of that stuff. So you have exactly. to do something about it. You can't just, I mean, yeah, you got to work through it, but you don't want to keep being reminded of it. I don't want to be in my 50s trying to remember no. stuff that happened when I was four, five, six, seven. That's too much information. But yep. you have and to it's not- in a healthy way. See, for me, I'm looking at this one list right here where the repression was something I'm grateful that I had up until the point it finally was revealed to me and came out. And it was even my dog that helped me come about it because it was just a simple thing like my dog panning and I would just want to knock his nose off of his face. <laughs> like, stop that. My dog would be scared mm-hmm. to breathe. And my dog weighed 104 pounds and had long hair. He got hot. He had to pant to cool himself off. But I couldn't mm-hmm. get why that just would bother me so bad. When it finally came to me, it floored me. And I realized now that that was another defense mechanism I had into play, which was the reaction formation and where, you know, unconscious impulses are expressed as their opposite in consciousness. That's That was the mm-hmm. promiscuity. If I had been aware of this other thing that had, had was being repressed, I wouldn't have been sexual at all. I wouldn't have mm-hmm. had any kind of relationship. I would have never had any children because I would have never let a man near me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm glad that I'm grateful for the defense mechanisms I had in the play. I'm grateful that I was so promiscuous or I would have never had any children. So I'm grateful that those other memories were repressed because if they hadn't have been, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have them today. You know, I'd just be, I'd just be in my fifties looking at people's children, looking at people's grandchildren, wishing, 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 but who knows? I may have never figured it out. It may have come out in some other way. I'm just grateful that my brain had, I'm just grateful that, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful to God because the Lord, obviously, if these are defense mechanisms, to me, they weren't bad because like I said, I'll say one last time, 
I'm, I'm grateful that those memories, those things that I had repressed didn't come out any sooner because it would have just really messed up my life. And I, I don't think I would have, they say better to have loved and lost than better than never to have loved at all. I would have never even given anybody a chance. Mm-hmm. And you know what, Althea, and it goes back to the anxiety because it creates anxiety in individuals. And even though we're mm-hmm. talking about this because this is how individuals can address some of the areas of concerns that they may have in their own personal life, or like I said, dealing with work relationships, personal relationships, parent-child relationships, a lot of these different things come up. And like I said, it creates some form of anxiety. Now, I'm looking at the information. It's coming from verywelledmind.com, and it talks about the the types of anxieties because not all types of anxieties are created equal, nor do these anxieties stem from the same sources. And going back to Freud, Freud identified three types of anxiety. One was the neurotic anxiety, and that is the unconscious worry that we will lose control of the it urges resulting in punishment for inappropriate behaviors. A lot of times individuals punish themselves because if you think about isolation, avoidance, denial, regression, repression, a lot of that is punishing yourself. Another mm-hmm. um, issue with reality is the reality anxiety is fear of real world events and that's what you're talking about the cause of this anxiety is usually easily identified um another time you know we talk about things that have happened if you're thinking of you know being molested or things that have happened to kids as far as being abused and when these things start reinventing themselves in other relationships people can literally shut down because they don't know what how to handle these things Another one is the the moral anxiety involving a fear of violating our own moral principles. So when we start talking about defense mechanism, it's not always a bad thing. It's when these things are either overused in order to avoid dealing with certain situations because we Mm -hmm. have to find ways to uncover these unconscious defense mechanisms and find better, healthier ways of coping with anxiety and distress, finding ways to be able to engage in healthy relationships, finding ways of being able to be able to adapt and adapt and adjust to our communities and, and our families and also forgiveness too, Thea. Forgiveness plays a big role in this. So, you know, you have to not only forgive yourself, you have to forgive others, and you have to practice that. A lot of individuals don't know how to let some things go or work through some things. See, that's one reason I am so very grateful for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, because if I had never had to work a a fourth and fifth step, you know, the fourth step, that's the – made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. It starts mm-hmm. off as a resentment, you know, but then it starts off like the, the, the reason, the cause, how it affected me and my part in it. Because, see, there were some people on there that I needed to forgive and couldn't, and my dad was one of them. But, see, being like, um, and you helped me with that, forgiving my dad, and the whole time, I couldn't even see, okay, I'm wanting my daughter to forgive me for the same thing I wasn't willing to forgive my dad for, you know, for not being 
You feel you you here, Thea. Thea. I would look at the look on your face. You would be looking at me like you want to knock me out. I'd be like, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, it wasn't that. You used to be so bad. You used to be like, oh. <laughs> no, no, no. See, that's the way I look when I'm thinking. I told you people used to tell me all the time, what you so mad about? Hey, what he do to you? I didn't No, that's, that's that mess when stuff is, stuff is getting through my head, you know, because I guess you I just. You look at your face, I'll be looking like, you better not. <laughs> No, because it made no, because it makes sense to me. I I had no argument about it. I'd be perplexed by that, like, mm-hmm. oh, you know. But yeah, <laughs> but, you know, but, the, just, but some people don't want to hear it. They don't want. And when you're working with individuals, it's like the day when the lady was in here, she pretty much ran out of here. And me and you both look at her oh, like, yeah. okay, <laughs> bye. You know what? Deal with this right now. We get it. We get it. Yeah. You know. So when we start talking about this, and I want to share this, and I'm going to let you finish what you were saying in regards to other defense mechanisms, and even though we start talking about the defense mechanism help us, like I said, when we start talking about how they're playing a role in our life, but he goes into acting out. With acting out in this type of defense, the individual copes with stress by engaging in actions rather than acknowledging and bearing certain feelings. They have what's called aim inhibition, and this type of defense, the individual accepts a form of modified or form of their original goal in becoming, you know, what it is they want to do. You have what's called altruism, satisfying internal needs through helping others. That's what yourself, myself, a lot of individuals that are in this field, we satisfy our internal needs through helping others by trying to, and even with Alcoholic Anonymous, if you think of the mission about Alcoholic Anonymous, and that's why they take that mission and um, do the mission and the mission and goals that they set. Another one, it talks about avoiding refusing to deal with or encounter unpleasant objects or situation, compensation, overachieving mm-hmm. in one area to compensate for failures in another. Right. That right there is deep and undoing. This involves trying to make up for what one feels are inappropriate thoughts, feelings, or behaviors, meaning if you hurt someone's feelings, you might offer to do something nice for them in order to assuage your anxiety or guilt. And you know, Thea, a lot of people, even when we talk about domestic violence, that's where people get caught up in their honeymoon period. So individuals need to understand what these things are. So, like I said, when you know better, you do better. Now, what would you agree to say, Thea? Because I know we got like a minute left on the show, but what do you want to leave the listeners with when we're talking about this? It just just comes down to something happening in our life that's so important to us that we're willing to take a look at ourselves. And once we we start, once we become willing to look at ourselves, then we're able to see other people as they are. We're willing to take a deeper look at ourselves, and we can even start forgiving others because we see the similarities, how, how what we couldn't forgive someone else for, we have been guilty of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, not the exact same okay. thing, but the similarities, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say when I'm talking to someone, I'll say who, do that, who and what do that remind you of? Because it's going to start yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back to this, and like I said at the beginning of the show, defense mechanisms are not always a bad thing, but you just need to be able to identify them. Meaning mm-hmm. that if you notice that overuse 
or certain defense mechanisms is having a negative impact in your life, consider consulting with a mental health professional. Psychotherapy can also help. They have what they consider a defense mechanism quiz to see how well you're able to identify different types of defenses in, in your actions. Someone is calling in, but they're calling in with 10 seconds left in the show. Hi, this is Jeanette. Welcome to Precious Predicaments. we got 10 seconds. What do you want to say in regards to the show? Okay. They don't want to say anything. So <laughs> they call it at the end, end of the show. So if you want to take this quiz, you can go to what's called verywellmind.com, and it's a defense mechanism quiz. So there's a lot of ways, a lot of things we can do, but get some help. Don't hold yeah. on this old pain and trauma that's not doing you any good, even though you've used it, you felt it was working for you, but if someone has brought this to your attention, there's a reason why. And sometimes, like you said, Thea, and it goes back to we repress, we regress, Mm -hmm. we displace, we project, but we have to stop avoiding. So I want to thank you for joining me here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. Don't know what I'm going to talk about tomorrow, but Thea, I want to thank you for calling in and joining me. Because you know I hate talking to myself. So <laughs> until tomorrow or next week, remember you got this. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.